Hi, I'm Pastor Guy Burke. We welcome you to this week's worship with First Baptist Church Indianola. We also invite you to find out more about us at our website, www.fbcindianola.com. And don't forget to like us on social media. Join us now as we study deep truths from God's holy word. Good morning once again. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to have a couple of different verses as we wrap up our series, Christ-Centered Marriage, today. Uh, but our home base is going to be 1 Peter chapter 3. So take your Bible or your device and, and turn to that chapter there in the New Testament. And today we're going to talk about the ingredients for Christ-centered marriage. The ingredients for Christ-centered marriage. Uh, if you follow me on social media, you may have saw this week uh, a little example uh, from my life this week about what my wife cooks and what I cook. And uh, we're going to have some images here to, to show you kind of what that looked like because not everyone saw it and that's okay. But uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about first my wife's kind of menu, okay? Now a couple of weeks ago my wife had this menu. You may not be able to read that, but I want to share it with you anyway. Uh, my wife's menu is pan-seared chicken breast with mushroom cream sauce, wild rice, asparagus and let, let, let me not forget those buttered rolls uh, that, that would clog all kinds of arteries all right that, that's the kind of menu my wife brings out now when my wife has to work the late shift this is what dad brings out all right are you are you with me move that next slide manwich that's right we bring out the good stuff for the kids amen right and don't miss those great value buns in the background that that was product placement uh, you know, so, so we all have our favorite meals is the point. Like whether, whether you like that fancy meal that your wife can make or whether you jump on the sandwich train with dad, we all have our favorite meals. So if we had a last meal, I bet we would, if we asked the question, what would your last meal be? We, I bet we would have something in mind real quick to say, hey, if I only had one meal, this one's going to be it, right? Because when you put those ingredients together for that meal, whatever your favorite meal is, your mouth starts to water, your, your stomach starts to rumble a little bit. You can't wait to sit down with your family to have that meal. And, and so when we think about key ingredients, they can be simple ingredients, but when they come together, they can mean everything for that meal and for that time with family and those kinds of environments. Well, today I want to talk with you about key ingredients for a Christ-centered marriage. Because from God's Word, we see that there are some key ingredients for us, uh, because when we think about not just our, our favorite dish we, and the ingredients for that, we can think about our relationships and how there's key ingredients, key components for every husband and wife, for every spouse, for every stage of life that when implemented, God can use in great and significant ways. So on today, this cold Valentine's Day, we want to talk about those key ingredients together. And I believe that when we look at these together, we'll see that God can speak into our hearts, He can speak into our lives, he can speak into our marriages. So the first ingredient I want to share with you today really piggybacks off last week. And that ingredient is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Every marriage, every Christ-centered marriage needs this element, this ingredient of sacrificial love. Why? Well, we talked about it last week from Ephesians chapter 5. That, that Christ has loved the church in such a way that husbands are supposed to love their wives in that way. 
and that wives in turn love and respect their husbands and it creates this harmony within the relationship and so for a christ-centered marriage to take place that sacrificial love that jesus displays for his bride the church should be on display within our marriages as well if you missed it last week you can go back to our our facebook page to watch that or check out our podcast catch up on that but i want to add another question into this ingredient ingredient of sacrificial love it's a key question that comes from author and pastor Andy Stanley. And it's this question that when we think about our relationship, it can make a huge difference when we think about loving our wife or loving our husband in a way that honors Christ. And that question is this question. What does love require of me? In this moment, in this circumstance, in this conversation, take a step back, press pause for a minute, count to three, ask the question, what does love require? Of me. And when you can answer that question in your relationship, you're on the path of sacrificial love. And you begin to sprinkle that ingredients of sacrificial love into the conversation, into the circumstances. In, when you're at the crossroads and you're trying to figure out which way to go, you sprinkle sacrificial love, that key ingredient, into that relationship, that covenant relationship before God, when you ask the question, what does love require of me? And that may be a key question for you today. I don't know where your relationship is with your spouse. I don't know what it looks like for you right now. But God does. And God wants you to ask that question. What does love require of me in this moment, in this time, in this season of our relationship? And as you ask that question, I believe the Holy Spirit and the power of God will speak into your life. And it can make all the difference moving forward. The second ingredient I want to share with you this morning is unhindered prayer. So the first ingredient, if we're cooking today and, and we're thinking about how, how can we have a Christ-centered marriage, what's the recipe? First ingredient is sacrificial love. Second ingredient is unhindered prayer. And that's where we come to 1 Peter, okay? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Because really when we talk about unhindered prayer, it's all about yielding. Just like when you, when you yield to someone getting on the highway or you yield in that on-ramp going onto the interstate. It's about us yielding first to God. So this vertical relationship and then within the covenant of marriage, yielding to each other. So the horizontal relationship. So we want to both yield to God and yield to others, to the other, for the glory of God. And so 1 Peter, this is what's written in chapter 3, verse 7. He writes this, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So that your prayers will not be hindered. That's the second ingredient, unhindered prayer. Now here's the thing about this verse. We get hung up on what in this verse? We get hung up on weaker partner. That's where we get hung up on. That's where we kind of go, what, what's, what's going on here? When actually we should be hung up on unhindered prayer. Or the prayers that could be hindered in our relationship. That should be the more key place where we kind of stop and scratch our heads instead of weaker partner. Because here's the deal. Throughout scripture, God is always about those that are less honored. And that's really what that means here in this context. As I said last week, when we talk about these scriptures, these key scriptures in, in Ephesians and 1 Peter and throughout the New Testament, it's not an equality issue. It's a glorification issue. 
And so what's going to glorify God is that husbands see their wives as co-heirs in this grace of life and that prayers are not hindered. We, we don't need to get hung up on the weaker partner aspect because, because what Peter's showing here is simply that women in this context in the ancient day, they were not viewed properly. They were viewed as second class. But what we learn throughout scripture and, and the illustration I gave last week is it's like an orchestra. Like husbands and wives, they're both in first chairs. They just have some different notes to play within the marriage relationship. God is the conductor. He's conducting the orchestra. And husbands are in first chair and wives are in the first chair. It's just because of the order of the conductor, there's different roles and responsibilities to play. It's not an equality issue. It's a glorification issue. And when we, when we yield to God and we yield to each other and we play harmoniously with each other in, in the order that God has created us, then our prayers will not be hindered. And we shouldn't want our prayers to be hindered. We, we shouldn't want our prayers to be off track in some way. We should want our marriage relationship to be so tight-knit and to be in tune with the conductor, the Lord himself, that our prayers for each other and our prayers for our needs and our prayers for our children and our prayers that are lifted up to him, that not only does he hear them, but they are not hindered in any form or fashion. There would be no sin that would hinder us as a couple as we seek to have a Christ-centered marriage praying to our Lord. Author and theologian Wayne Grudem writes this about that weaker partner point. He says, this affirms a theme found frequently in the New Testament, namely that God is often pleased to give honor to those who are weaker or less honored in the eye of the world. So in this context, women were not properly viewed by the world. I think that still applies today. Women are not properly viewed in a lot of ways in our world. But what the point here is, is that they may be less honored, but their husband is supposed to honor them as co-heirs. Co-heirs in the grace of life that comes through the Lord Jesus. In order that prayers would not be hindered. And this is all begins with sacrificial love so that prayers would not be hindered in any way. And husbands, as leaders in the household, as, as leaders in the marriage covenant, as leaders as God has ordained that order, to have that harmonious presence of pointing others to Jesus. Husbands, it calls us to love our wives. And we learned last week in Ephesians chapter 5 that, that ladies, wives, you bring that respect to your husbands. I have a couple quotes here I want to share that regarding this. The first quote comes from my former professor, pastor, and author David Platt. He says, husbands, love not because of who your wife is, but because of who Christ is. Husbands, don't, don't love just because of who your wife is. Love because of who Christ is. That sacrificial love, that key ingredient that will keep the prayers of your family and the prayers of your marriage from being hindered. Author Shanti Feldman, she says this in her book, Women Only. She says this as she writes to ladies and wives. She says, just as you need the man in your life to love you unconditionally, even when you are not particularly lovable, your man needs you to demonstrate your respect for him regardless of whether he's meeting your expectations at the moment. So once again, this, this order that God has given us, the conductor, we, uh, husbands are in 
first chair on this side, ladies are in first chair on this side, and to play these notes together of love and respect, of sacrificial love, of respect, comes together to honor God so that our prayers are not hindered. And that's the second key ingredient. And the third key ingredient I want to give to you this morning is covenant mindset. So we're cooking. <clears throat> We've got some ingredients. We've got sacrificial love over here. Over here on the stove, we want that unhindered prayer. And now we're about to get in the, the next ingredient, covenant mindset. Because that mindset is countercultural. We live in a contract-driven culture, right? I'll give you an example. I was serving at a church, and I hadn't been there long. And over the couple months there, we realized that the uh, office copier was just a lemon. I mean, it was breaking down all the time. Maybe you've been there in your office or where you work. This, this copier, it was under contract and, and the lease agreement or whatever, and it was terrible. It was breaking down. It broke down so much that the tech from Jackson was there almost weekly. I think somebody gave him a Christmas gift that year because he was there so much. He was there every week. We knew him on a first-name basis. We had coffee with him. He, he became one of the family almost. Well, the new rep came around when it was time to renew that contract. And so the pastor invited me to come into office because part of my duties were administrative. And so we were going to sit down with the new copier rep. Seemed like this guy was just out of college, first job probably. He comes in. You could tell he's, a, he's, he's new in, in the territory and in the region. And he, he's kind of giving his feel, and he goes, he goes all in on it and shares it. And my pastor at the time just kind of stares at him a little bit. I don't think my pastor was in the best mood that day either. And so the, the copier rep was like, well, what do you think about that? Can we, can we get you to sign today? And the pastor sat there and looked at him, and he said, son, you see that yellow sticky note above my desk on the wall? And the copier rep said, yes, sir. He said, you know what that is? No, sir, what is that? He said, written on that sticky note is the date that our agreement and contract with y'all goes out. And that's the date we're going to bid out to several other companies to bring us a new copy. He was not having it with that contract. I don't really know why I was invited to that meeting, but I was there, and he was not having that contract. We live in a contract-driven society, a contract-driven culture, but God is a God of covenant. We need, as believers, in our marriages and in our lives, we need to know the difference between that. Because a contract, it lays out the bullet points. It lays out the details specifically of what this party agrees to and what this party agrees to. And any time one of those are broken, we can seek to renegotiate or even void the contract. Or let the contract run its course and get a new contract, right? Well, that's dangerous for marriage. Here's why that's dangerous for marriage, because when you enter into marriage and you seek a Christ-centered marriage, you're on the same team. You're not sitting across the table from one another with this list of duties and expectations to be fulfilled and this list of duties and expectations to be fulfilled. You have entered into a covenant before God, and you have made unwavering promises before God and other witnesses as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to have a Christ-centered marriage with a covenant mindset. So let's talk about what a covenant is together this morning. First, a covenant is based on trust. 
A covenant is based on trust. A covenant does not hinge on expectations and responsibilities with bullet points being met day in and day out. A covenant is based on trust. And here we come back to the trust we have with our God, with this relationship, and the trust that moves out horizontally in our marriage relationship. And that we trust God in what he has said marriage is. That's where we begin with our trust. Because guess what? Man did not come up with marriage. Amen? Marriage was not man's idea. God instituted marriage. God's idea was marriage. Therefore, we can trust our God with what he says in his word about marriage. And so it begins with trust. And it begins with trust with one another. That if we're going to have a covenant mindset, we're going we're to come all in together as, as one to honor God, trusting him and trusting each other in the relationship. That's a key component of covenant mindset. A second component of covenant mindset is covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. Unlimited responsibility. You see, a contract would say, I only have to do this. This is my job description. A covenant says, I'm going to be responsible for whatever I have to to make sure that I'm honoring God and that our marriage is successful. You see, culturally, we look at marriage as some contract to fulfill certain duties. God has instituted marriage as a covenant to take on the responsibility to take on the order he has ordained to fulfill these roles for his glory and for our good. And so covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. The vows that you take before God and for others are unwavering promises. The unwavering promise of you're going to take responsibility in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times, all the way through. We are making unwavering promises to our God and to each other to live in covenant that would glorify him. What else do we need to know about covenant? Well, covenant is based on not breaking when new circumstances arise. A covenant doesn't break when new circumstances arise. A covenant is about forging a path in spite of new circumstances. A covenant says, I don't know what's on the horizon, and I don't know what these new circumstances mean, but I trust our God, and I trust you as my husband or my wife, and we're moving forward. We're not going to allow these circumstances to break us down in order that the covenant would be broken down. That's what a covenant is. It's being all in for all time for our God. And that's different than our culture. Our culture wants to sign you up for a new contract. How many contracts have you signed for your cell phone? Right? Our culture wants to put you into a contract and that has overflowed into marriage where man has said, well, marriage is nothing more than a contract between two people. But that's not what God calls it. Friend, God is not a God of contracts. God is a God that makes covenants. And marriage is a covenant before God that you make before him and before others. You make unwavering promises in spite of new circumstances. And that's a marriage 
that is Christ-centered. Because Jesus kept his promise. The groom, for his bride, the church, he has kept his promise. He has taken on all the responsibility. That's what the gospel shares with us. That's what the gospel shows us. Jesus has done this for his bride. And in the marriage covenant, a Christ-centered marriage would seek to do the same. I was reading in Mark this week, Mark chapter 2, and Jesus uses, he views himself as the groom. This is what he says here in Mark chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them. He was questioned about why his disciples were not fasting, and Jesus points to himself as the groom. The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. Jesus viewed himself as the groom, and he sacrificed himself for the church, his bride, for all those that would trust and believe in him. He kept the covenant, the promise of God. And when we come into that covenant of marriage to have a Christ-centered marriage, we keep the covenant. We make unwavering promises in spite of new circumstances. And that's a key ingredient for a Christ-centered marriage. The next key ingredient for a Christ-centered marriage is gospel awareness. Gospel awareness. So we've got it all laid out here. We're cooking. And we've got sacrificial love. And we've got unhindered prayer. And we've got covenant mindset. And now we come to gospel awareness. You know, one of the, the most famous sitcoms over the last 10 or 15 years is The Office. I don't know if you've seen it. Maybe you've watched the episode or two. Maybe you've seen the memes of uh, Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott. There's always some memes of him going around as the boss. Well, Michael Scott's character, the character of Michael Scott in the office, the main character, he is a leader that has no kind of self-awareness. He has no awareness of how the people in the office view him. He has no awareness of how his philosophies about work contradict each other or how he insults with these jokes that he gives or the insecurities that he displays, he has no self-awareness at all when it comes to him leading in that office. Now, that makes for high comedy sometimes, right? But that's not really what we want in life. Well, in a marriage, we cannot have a certain awareness as well. It's not self-awareness. It's gospel awareness. We can, we can come into marriage and we can move through marriage without ever being aware that marriage is a picture of the gospel. We can walk through marriage with our expectations, never looking to God's word and understanding that marriage has a gospel-aware component to it. And to have a Christ-centered marriage, that needs to shift. That needs to change in our hearts and in our lives. We need the ingredient of gospel awareness in our marriages. Remember, the gospel and God's glory are at stake in our marriages and in our homes. Think about it just for a second. Jesus, Jesus just said in Mark chapter 2 that he is the groom. And we know he views himself as the groom. And throughout other scriptures, we know that his bride is the church. Out of all the metaphors that God could have used in his wisdom, his infinite wisdom, his almighty knowledge, out of all the metaphors that God Almighty, who instituted and created marriage, all the metaphors he could have used to describe the relationship between Jesus and the church. Out of all the metaphors, he chose marriage. 
He chose the intimate relationship between husband and wife, the two becoming one flesh, as the scripture says. That's what he chose to describe, the gospel. So that means your marriage and my marriage needs to be gospel aware. We need to understand that the covenant we have entered into to honor God and and to to be Christ-centered has a gospel component that our marriage pulls back the curtain to project what the gospel is. And that's huge. That's huge. Because what that does is, is that takes our, our purpose of marriage off of self and it replaces that purpose with the gospel. And that's what our marriages need. Now that's not easy. That's not easy. But friend, it's worth it. It's worth it to have gospel awareness within our marriages. When we think about this, it's so important to live out the gospel in our marriage. And how do we do that? Well, we do it with sacrificial love. We do it with unhindered prayer. We do it with covenant understanding. That leads us to our last ingredient. Our last ingredient is strong servanthood. We touched on this a little bit last week. Because really what, what happens here is we're fulfilling the great commandment as well. Not only are we gospel aware and not only are we living in covenant before God, not only are we praying to God and living out sacrificial love, but we are serving one another. Just as the great commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we talked about last week how in Ephesians 5 that Paul brings that in from Leviticus 19 and Matthew chapter 22 as well. And so within the marriage covenant, to have a Christ-centered marriage, we need to have strong servanthood. We need to be willing to serve one another. Because here's what happens. When you combine sacrificial love with a servant heart, you create a stellar marriage. When you combine both of these, sacrificial love and a servant heart, you create a stellar marriage. A marriage that is Christ-centered and a marriage that honors and glorifies the King. Now, I want to give you a practical step on that. I want to give you a practical step when it comes to strong servanthood. Because you may be thinking, well, that sounds good, preacher, but how do I really do that? Well, I want to share with you a, a resource called the Five Love Languages. You've heard me talk about it before. Maybe you've read the book. If you haven't, I encourage you to get the book or get the app or go to the website. There's all kinds of ways to do it. And really what Dr. Gary Chapman points out, I've heard him speak several times, what he really points out is we all have these five love languages in our life. But depending on the personality of the individual, one or two rises to the top. And when you can pinpoint and identify your spouse's love language, then you can begin to make deposits into what Gary Chapman calls their love tank. Just like when you go to the bank on payday. Right? You take your check to the bank, you deposit, the account gets more in it. Same way with the love language. When you begin speaking your spouse's love language and you make a deposit, the love tank begins to fill up. And the more full the love tank, guess what? The more love they feel. Now, what are the five love languages? Well, I always forget one, so let me read them if I can. The first one is quality time. So just spending time with someone, depending on the personality, 
just sitting on the couch next to each other, that can be making a deposit into their love pain. Now, your personality may not want to do that. You may be one of the individuals that have to work all day, every day, be doing something, be cleaning something, be going about doing something. You've got to be doing something. When your spouse needs you to sit down just for a little bit and spend some quality time with them to make that deposit. So this helps you identify that. Not only is it quality time, but it's physical touch, holding their hand, giving them a hug before you leave for work. Little things like this make deposits to fill that love tank. This is practical servanthood, okay, but it's strong servanthood that can make a difference in your marriage for the glory of God. So physical touch, gifts. Now, a lot of times we think gifts, oh, I got to buy a diamond or I got to buy this, this or that or the other. No, just small gifts. Sending flowers, little cards, whatever it can be. A gift, a little thoughtful gift can be that deposit in their love tank, serving them in that capacity that can make them feel that much more loved. Not only gifts, but words of affirmation. Telling them what you love about them. Sharing with them something they did that was meaningful for you complimenting them in some way. These words of affirmation can be that deposit into that love tank that fills that love tank up. It can make a difference. Finally, acts of service. We talk about strong servanthood. All of these love languages are serving your spouse in some way, but really acts of service. Doing something without being asked just to serve them. So let's go back to our, our, our original, hey, it's, it's time to cook. My wife cooks, she spends the time getting the menu and the things ready and preps it and cooks it, then I'm going to clean the kitchen. That's just one example of an act of service that can make a deposit. It seems, sometimes we think, man, that kind of seems a little silly. But I'm telling you, strong servanthood is an ingredient to a Christ-centered marriage that when we make these intentional, specific deposits because we've identified our husband or our wife's love language, it can make a huge difference. Super practical, but can make a huge difference in having a Christ-centered marriage. As we wrap up today, we've talked about the key ingredients. Sacrificial love, unhindered prayer, covenant mindset, gospel awareness, and strong servanthood. We've been cooking this morning, all right? And we've been putting all this together. As we wrap up, let's think about how we can apply this this week. So I'm going to leave you with some key takeaways. I hope these are portable for you. I hope all this is portable for you. Something you'll take, you'll apply, that God will use in your life and in the, in the life of your marriage to have a Christ-centered marriage. And so these are, these are key takeaways, maybe a little more like action steps, some things you can do beginning this week to move toward a Christ-centered marriage. Okay? The first one is this. Pick one of the ingredients to focus on this coming week. We've been cooking this morning, all right? Pick one of the ingredients. Sacrificial love. What does love require of me? Unhindered prayer. How, how, can, I, how can I love in such a way to see my spouse as co-heirs in the grace of life that Jesus gives? That, my, that I can pray in a different way. Covenant mindset. Stepping back and saying, hey, I've had too many of these contract expectations on my husband or on my wife. I'm going to embrace covenant, which means unlimited responsibility. 
Maybe it could be gospel awareness. Maybe you need to consider and think and ask God to show you how can my marriage best represent the gospel beginning today. Strong servanthood. Maybe you take the initiative to look up those love languages. Figure out your husband or your wife's love language and make those deposits one at a time. Trusting God to make a difference. Pick one. Pick one of the ingredients this week. Focus on it, all right? Then pray. Pray asking God to show you, to show you how to implement that one ingredient. Whichever one you choose, go before God and say, God, give me that next right step. I just need one step, God. Just one step to implement this ingredient for my marriage because I want my marriage to be Christ-centered for your glory. And then finally, the last takeaway, the last action step is discuss with your loved one. Pick a time this week to discuss with your loved one, your husband or your wife, what God's showing you. What he's been showing you throughout this week as you sought him, as you, as you implemented one of these key ingredients, discuss with your husband or wife at the end of the week what God is showing you and what that means for your relationship, what that means for your marriage, and how you desire a Christ-centered marriage. Friends, I believe this has so much power that God can use in our marriages, in our homes. Because remember, what's at stake in our homes and our marriages is the glory of God. Let me pray for you. Lord, we bow before you today, and we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the depth of your word, God. And Lord, this morning there may be someone listening today, and, and their marriage is not where they want it to be. Their marriage is, is, is at a crossroads in some way. Lord, I pray that, that the truth of your word and these steps that have been presented today, God, would present a new chapter in that marriage, God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would begin to change hearts. You would begin to change circumstances. You would begin to change lives, God. Lord, it may mean today that, that we've got some solid marriages, people that have been watching and their marriage has been solid, been solid for years, but, but maybe there needs to be more gospel awareness. Maybe, maybe that strong marriage could benefit from, from serving in some ways. Now, we don't want to get stuck in that negative rut, but we want to be on that highway, that highway of glorifying you, God. Now, there may be someone here that's not married. They, they may be listening or watching today, and they're not married. Maybe this is food for thought as they consider who that person you have for them might be. And that it might create for them a foundation and insights and wisdom before they enter into marriage, God. God, we don't know how you want to use this, but I firmly believe you want to use this. You want to use each of these key ingredients within the marriages that are represented in this, in this place today, for those watching online and listening today. God, we pray that you would, you would work in marriages. You would save marriages. You would, you would have marriages that glorify you because they're Christ-centered, God. You, you would enhance marriages within our church so our church could have examples of healthy marriages for your glory and for your renown, God. Lord, we believe you can do it. And we're asking that you would infuse the Holy Spirit within each of these marriages, within the hearts of husbands and the hearts of wives. That they would build it around covenant relationship and gospel awareness and sacrificial love and turn away from the contract mindset that this world offers, God. Lord, may it be for your glory. And may these marriages point to you and no one else, God. 
Now, there won't be perfect marriages. No marriage is perfect. But we can trust in the one who is perfect. To speak into our marriage, to speak into that relationship, and to use it in a way that only you can get the credit for it, our God. Lord, we ask this with boldness. We ask it with courage. We ask it by faith and by faith alone. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.